let's get this party started. Welcome to Judge Cuss. This uh, Judge Cuss. This is episode number seventy six. We never redo it. You'd think, never. You'd think that we'd be, you know, at seventy six times we'd know the name of the show. You know, Judge Cuss. Uh, <laughs> with me as always, my two bestowaway hosts. First off, we got Jess Dunks. Hi, this is Jess. Hey, Jess. We also got Brian Prilliman, who was sassing me earlier. Yes, I am thrilled to be on this podcast. <laughs> Brian Thrilliman. Yes. All right, let's. So this is going to be an email catch-up show where we get caught up on emails. You could tell because I called it an email catch-up show. <laughs> Secret code. Yeah. Broken it. You did it. Because uh, we have... It's to make the listeners feel good about themselves when they figure it out. Yeah. Well, it's it's Rot 13 encrypted. No, no. We just uh, lay that out. There. We just lay it out there. So we're going to spend some time getting caught up from all the emails since August 31st that we haven't had yet had a chance to read. So we're going to go over all kinds of topics today. But first, I want to talk about just a little bit of news, and this really only applies to the MTG Cast listeners out there. But that is the majority of our listeners. Um, MTG Cast is it has new ownership now. Uh, what that means, it seems to mean is few things, but the main thing is it sounds like they are removing the ads from the beginning of the podcast. So this ad removal brought to you by Quiet Speculation. By QuietSpeculation.com. That is yeah. true. It, Quiet Speculation is the new owners. Um, it also is going to mean that we're going to be able to upload the podcast a little bit faster because they're changing it, I think, to where we're going to be able to upload them directly. Yeah, they're they're advertising like there's going to be some sort of web forum thing where where we have control of our own destiny. Finally. Uh, yes. So for people interested in that, though, I'll put a link to the um, the announcement in the show notes because we don't need to go too deep into it here. But. I just want to mention that it sounds like the ads are going to get removed, so that's good for everyone. But of course, if you always want to have it ad-free and you always want to get it as fast as possible, just go to JudgeCast.com. And it's announced uh, via Twitter, uh, you know, at JudgeCast. Uh, on Facebook, you can like us on <laughs> Facebook. Um, also, uh, the Magic Judges Twitter account also tweets when we have a, a new episode up. Well, so uh, They don't do it every time. Uh, yeah, huh? Is it you? They, they do when they catch it, which is most of the yeah. time. Is it secretly you, Brian? It is secretly All you. All right, I nailed it. <laughs> well, now, now, it used to be, we used to be, uh, just pull back the curtain a little bit of the art. We used to be synced with the Facebook page. Yeah. Okay, so whenever Facebook uh, would post something, then we would, the Twitter, the Magic Judges Twitter account would auto-post it. But uh, uh, David de la Iglesia and I, because he, he runs the Facebook and I, I run the Twitter, we kind of were like, well, he has to when he posts stuff, he kind of has to conform to the Twitter format. Right. And, he, you know, he kind of didn't like that. And then there was stuff that I was posting on the Twitter account that that I didn't think that the Facebook page was going to post. And then he'd be like, oh, but now if I post it, it's going to double post to Twitter. So we just kind of sat down and was like, you know what? You do your thing. I'll watch it. I'll do my thing. We'll talk. But, you know, then you don't have to worry about uh, 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 formatting it to, to tweet, tweet. And I don't have to worry about stepping on your toes uh, for jumping on, uh, you know, Joel Krebs article on the road to L3. You know, that kind of stuff. All right. Well, that was an exciting behind the scenes look. Yes. <laughs> thrilling. Not really. Speaking of thrilling. 
Bestow. Oh, so much thrill. So uh, we covered Bestow on our last episode, but there seems to still be a ton of issues out there. And um, now that we have Jess back, and I don't know where why I said Anne there. I have nothing to follow that up with, but we <laughs> thought we'd go over Bestow again to try to tackle all, all the questions that have been going around about it. Because obviously, all those people that had questions didn't listen to our last episode. Obviously. Well, obviously a lot of the questions were answered by our last episode. Right. So, guys listening, you can you can kind of listen to the guys and it's like, oh, they didn't know how Bestow works. Ha ha ha. Let me tell you about this great podcast called JudgeCast that you can learn how to answer all of these questions. So, funny story about that. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I didn't I, – I hadn't gotten around to listening to our last episode because I wasn't on it, as our listeners probably remember. Uh, it was just the two of you guys. It was. And and I hadn't gotten around to listening to it before I started the pre-release. Now, I'd read the FAQ and I'd studied it and I, I knew what was going on. But the bestow away joke, which I love, by the way, <laughs> I didn't know about. And people kept coming up to me and making bestow away jokes. That's funny. And I didn't realize until somebody told me that it was from JudgeCast. That's really funny that people kept making JudgeCast references to you. And you didn't get them. You're like, what? <laughs> I like – I kind of like that i thought that was pretty awesome like it, it put it in perspective like it, it this happened like not just from judges on staff like i had some judges on staff and some of them listened to the show but also from judges who just came to the pre-release to play some of them were listening to the show and that's that's really awesome to to hear from them and, and that they listen to the show and then they get to feel smart because they knew something about judge cast i didn't and i get to feel dumb because i didn't <laughs> and uh it was it was great all around <laughs> I got to feel dumb. It was great. <laughs> For once. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go over let's go over uh bestow then. So all the bestow cards from Theros are uh enchantment creatures, okay? Uh and they have the bestow ability. And generally when you when they start off in your library and then you draw them and when you're when they are in your hand, they are just what they say they are on the card. They are enchantment creatures. Okay, uh, then what happens when you decide to cast one of these creatures? Anyone? Tell me. Uh, I'm segueing. So, so what happens when you cast it, 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 You have to decide uh, in what way you're going to cast it. Um, if you're going to cast it as just as is, or if you're going to pay the bestow cost and instead cast it as an aura. Yeah. Now, as, yeah. go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was, I was uh, going to I was going to say when you start to cast it, regardless of whether or not you're going to bestow it or not, you start to cast a creature spell. Okay. Okay. Right. So you want to go step by step through this bad boy? Well, I'm just being quick because most of the questions were things like, "Oh, I'm allowed to cast creatures from my graveyard. Can I bestow away a, a celestial bear cub?" You know, if there was such a card. Um, so, so let's uh, just answer that question. Yes, because you are starting to cast. You, as if you listen to our steps to casting a spell. You know, you take, you announce the spell, you put it on the stack. That's the first step. The second step, you decide to pay any any alternate costs and stuff like that. And at that point is really when it's going to become an aura. So there was a brief period of time when it left your hand for a microsecond. It was a creature. It was an enchantment creature. Right. Well, and, and what I was going to point out is that 
an aura that is also a creature becomes unattached. And this is why it's not a creature when you cast it with its bestow cost. Now, as you were just saying, it is a creature for the split second that you, you originally cast it. But, but this is why it can't be a creature all the time. And that's one of the questions I've got is, well, it's an enchantment all the time. Why can't it be a creature all the time? And that's why. Yeah. I guess one of, one of the other one of the other things that that seems to trip people up is is sometimes it's an aura and sometimes it's a creature. So if it's so if it's not an aura, shouldn't that mean that it's also not an enchantment? Okay, the answer is it, aura is a subtype of enchantment, just like cat is a subtype of creature. Okay, you can lose your subtype of creature and you're still a creature. You can lose your subtype of enchantment and still be an enchantment. Here's looking at you, nameless race. <laughs> right, nameless race. Uh, so the, the the big takeaway is it's always, 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 always an enchantment. Okay? it's If it's attached to something, it's an aura. If it's not, it's a creature. If it's on the stack, well, if you announce that you're casting it with bestow away, it's an aura. I just said with bestow away. <laughs> Um, if you cast it with bestow, it's an aura. If you don't, it's a creature. And how long is that true? Uh, it is if on the stack, okay, it's true it will until remain it the stack. Right. Yeah. Basically, when you make the decision to bestow it or not, it becomes. If you say I'm going to bestow it, it becomes an aura and loses its creature, and it's going to stay that way as long as it's on the stack. Okay, so it's not like if you kill the creature that it's going to enchant, it suddenly reverts back to being a creature while on the stack. The bestow rules alter it, and it'll, instead of being countered, it'll go to resolve, and then it'll just kind of like, instead of flopping into the graveyard, it'll just kind of like flop on the battlefield and be like, ta-da, I'm that 2-2 intimidate dude. Right, yeah, the main point there is if you bestow a creature, it's going to be an aura on the stack until it's too late to counter it. More or less, we're using uh, spells that could count only counter an aura. They're counter non-creatures. So, so one of the common questions that that we've been getting is if you, let's say, I cast a celestial archon uh, as a bestow, as an aura with bestow, uh, targeting a grizzly bear, and you do doom blade my grizzly bear. Why grizzly bear? <laughs> Doesn't matter. So doom blade <laughs> grizzly bear. Can I then essence scatter the celestial archon? And the answer is no. It's still an aura. It, it it will not become a creature again until it leaves the stack. Right. And we used that literal example on the, the last show. But I guess people still don't fully understand it. Um, I think a little bit of the confusion comes from the god cards, which work differently than this. Like their ability only matters while the god card is on the battlefield. But they're, they're just two totally separate things. Oh, that's because of the fact that it's not a characteristic defining ability for the cards of devotion. Right. Because it, because it's conditional. If it's a conditional ability, it can't be a, a CDA. Right. Right. So so the gods are always creatures everywhere, um, except on the battlefield, possibly. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about cost additions and reductions, which I think we covered last time, too. But let's talk about it again. Um, say you have the Warden of Evil's Isle, which says that uh, creatures with flying cost one less to cast. They... Uh, <laughs> Um, and you have that Celestial Archon, which is a 4-4 flying first strike bestow. This is a really interesting interaction. Yeah, um, which I may or may not have gotten wrong last episode and cut out. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Glad to see you can admit that. Yeah, I'll let people know. Sometimes I cut things out. Um, 
when you make mistakes. when I make mistakes. Correct. <laughs> well, we were we were listening, we were talking, and CJ's going on, and then he says something, and I'm like, uh huh, and I just kind of like, wait, what? And I go look something up, and I come back, and I'm like, ah, oh, CJ, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> what? And I was like, I don't think it works that way. And then we had like a good five minute conversation that completely got cut. Yeah, it was well. Well, that, that, for the benefit of our listeners, tell them. Yeah. How so here's how it works, right? So creatures with flying cost one less to cast, uh, and then the the archon is a four four with flying first strike with bestow. If you bestow the creature, so taking it step by step through casting a spell. First step, it's it's a you know it's a creature in your hand. You you uh, put it on the stack. You choose to pay the bestow cost in the second step of casting a spell. At that moment on the stack, it becomes an aura. Okay. So when we get to the later steps of casting a spell, namely where we calculate the total costs, we're going to look at the alternate cost of bestow. That's going to be the cost. And we're going to see if Warden of Evo's Isle can apply here. But it can't because the card is no longer a creature. So the cost to, to bestow will no longer be lowered. Right. So... Uh, which is which is weird because things that let you cast creature cards from your graveyard, you can bestow a creature from. Your, so it's like yeah. it's it's like sometimes it's a creature and sometimes it's not, which all the more reason to go back and listen to our podcast on steps to casting this. Yep. And similar to that, now to say to clarify. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so say uh, you had a card that said creatures, creature spells can be cast as though they had flash. Right. You can cat you can bestow uh, at like flash speed because because <laughs> it's giving you permission to do that very first right, step of that, casting that a spell. Profit, that, that profit of Seedborn Muse, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Is. It amuses me that if you made the flash a magic card, he would probably have haste, but not flash. <laughs> anyway, yes. Even, uh, even funnier, if you made the flash a magic card, then you wouldn't be able to see it on your iPhone. Uh, wow. iPhone joke. I love it. Anyway, joke. Uh, so there's there are some cards that let you put creatures onto the battlefield from your graveyard, and then there are some cards that let you cast creatures from the battlefield or from the graveyard. Um, there's a difference with bestow. Things that let you put creatures onto the battlefield won't let you enchant them as auras. Right. You're just picking this up one, a creature blop, on the battlefield. Right. This is one that came up uh, at our pre-release. I don't remember the card that that lets you do that, but there's one in the set. Rescue from the underworld, and, probably. Yeah, and so you can't uh, you can't enchant things with them if you if you do it that way but if you're casting it from the graveyard you can all right kind of a little similar to that is if um if it lets you cast it from your graveyard it has to let you cast it using its original mana cost if something like unearth says you know you can cast this from your graveyard but you got to pay the unearth cost well unearth doesn't actually cast it i would say it's an activated ability isn't it uh basically anytime you can cast it without paying its mana cost you can't bestow it whether it's from the graveyard or your yeah exactly if something said cast a card in a graveyard uh, without paying its mana cost, you could not bestow it because you can only use one alternate cost. And in this case, you're using the without paying its mana cost alternate cost. Anything that says if you cast it, you can cast it without paying its mana cost, whether it's from the library, the graveyard, sure. your hand, okay, whatever. Because yeah, yeah, sure. like that is that is an alternate cost. Bestow is an alternate cost. And you there is only one. So speaking of casting it from your library, that reminds me of why it is relevant that this is a, a creature at uh, when you start to cast it. Um, let's look at Garrick's Horde from M14, for example. 
that says you can cast creature cards from the top of your library. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to have the top of your library revealed, but it says you have uh, you can cast creature cards from the top of your library. Well, creatures with bestow are creatures, so you can cast them from the top of your library. And then after you choose to cast them, you can choose to bestow them. So that's an, an example where it's relevant that it's a creature first. Is Grooks Horde an M14? Yes. Okay. Sure. Well, there you go. A deck for standard. <laughs> Isn't there a card that lets you cast only one creature a turn? Am I going too deep? Probably. We'll say yes. Well, it, the point is it wouldn't apply here because you're not. I, I'm getting confusing. I don't want to. I don't want to confuse people. Okay. So anyway. Uh, so here's here's another fun example. Let's let's talk about. Are we done talking about it on the stack, first of all? Yeah, sure. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, I think we've kind of covered everything, or just near about. Um, so another example uh, is that anytime it becomes un- when it becomes unattached, it then becomes a creature. Now, this isn't a triggered ability. This isn't a state-based action. What this is, is the end of a duration on a continuous effect. And let, let me give you an example of when this is relevant. In one of our recent standard tournaments, somebody has a voice of resurgence in play, and at the end of their opponent's turn, they cast Boon Seder with Bestow, because it has Flash, Boon Seder on their Voice of Resurgence. And after that resolves, their opponent thinks for a second and calls a judge to clarify they can do this, and then casts Far and Away. Yes! And they, they far, far targeting the, the Voice of Resurgence and Away targeting their opponent. And that makes them return Voice of Resurgence to play and then sacrifice a creature. Well, by the time you get to, to the hand. instruction... I'm oh, sorry, re- return to his hand, yes. And then sacrifice a creature. And by the time you get to the instruction to sacrifice a creature, that duration of as long as this is attached has ended. And it's now a creature you could sacrifice. So you get to get rid of that Boon Seder with Far and Away. That's in the middle of a spell. Yep. It stopped being an enchantment or stopped being an aura and started being a creature. Yeah. To be very clear, far away is a return target creature to its owner's hand and target player sacrifice a creature with fuse. So, so where we normally say, hey, like state based actions are checked in the, uh, you know, at before a player would receive priority. That's, you know, done in between spells and activated abilities and stuff like that. Continuous effects can end in the middle of things. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a couple more little things I want to bring up on the on the last podcast. We mentioned how uh, if if something if a creature has a bestow away and he gains protection from the color of the bestow away, it's going to become a creature. But we were only saying that because Matt Tabak's tumbler said so. Uh, and that is now officially in the rules. Yes, because now Matt Tabak's rules say so. Yes. So now. <laughs> Uh, we can we can just say that's officially in the rules now, and it's not just something from a tumbler. Uh, yeah, it's not a tumbler bandaid. No, basically it says um, the the rule is basically as an exception to the state based action that would normally handle that. Uh, the aura becomes unattached if it has bestow, and since so, it's going unattached, it becomes a creature. What's funny is he writes it. It's the same guy. He writes it on Tumblr. Eh, maybe it's this way. We're not so sure. He writes it on a different sheet of paper. Suddenly, it's like, oh, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Additionally, because right. I'm not, I'm not sure if I brought this up last podcast, but it was something I wasn't sure of. And now that we have the CR, we can be sure of it. So if you use someone like uh, Bruna. Who, let's say, let's say I I cast Bruna and my opponent has um, a bear cub with uh, with some bestow away on it, and I attack with Bruna. So Bruna reads whenever Bruna Light of Alabaster attacks or blocks, you may attach it to it any number of auras on the battlefield, and you may put onto the battlefield attached to it any number of aura cards that could enchant it from your graveyard and or hand. 
Okay, so first off, if you have any bestow cards in your hand or graveyard, obviously you can't bestow them because they are not ours in your hand or graveyard. But more importantly, if you choose to take your opponent's bestow away bestow card. <laughs> oh, no, it is the bestow away. Yeah. Okay, so you, if you choose to take your opponent's bestow away. Um, it's going to become unattached from your opponent's creature. Therefore, it'll immediately become a creature and it will never attach to your Bruna. And it'll be a creature under your opponent's control. Cool. That was the two things I wanted to add. So, yay for uh, crazy EDH stuff. Yeah. So, I guess one one thing I want to, if we're wrapping this up. Yeah. So, I want to talk. So, we made up um, uh, last week a picture that basically talks about when things are, you know, when things are bestowed, what they look like on the stack, on the battlefield, that kind of thing. Um, uh, we put it up on the Facebook page. Uh, the original idea was from uh, Ben Bloodworth. He did something like that for his pre-release. Uh, he's a, a level two judge up in uh, the panhandle of Florida, Tallahassee. So I want to give him credit for that. We stole his idea uh, and ran with it. So give him the proper credit there. Um Here's the thing I want to address about this picture. When we post a new episode, we get like two likes and a comment, maybe. <laughs> this picture got like, what, like 70 some odd likes. The Facebook page got over 100 new likes as a result of this picture. And there was something like 30 comments. Come on, guys. It blew up. It, and all it took was is it, it, it was a cute little bear cub picture it was celestial bear cub was there the was card. some discussion about what the ability cute does well yes yeah, so what what celestial bear cub did was it was a 2-2 creature that had trample and cute and obviously because it had bestow when it enchanted a creature it gave it plus two plus two trample and cute and i guess if you want to know what cute does you're gonna have to go and read the comments on that thread and like us like our page on facebook because <laughs> That's the only way we're going to get any of that internet money. Yeah. Get that start rolling in. Yeah. Yes. But come on, guys. We put a picture of a cuddly, wuddly bear up on the internet and we get like 70, 70, uh, 70 likes on the photo and 100 new likes on the page. Yeah. Uh, we post a new episode. We get two likes. If that. Sometimes we lose a like. Comment. Yeah, we do. Actually, it's like, oh. <laughs> oh. So 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 to to make this, you know, more appealing then. We should just remind the listeners that they should imagine us as cuddly wuddly bears while while we're speaking. Yes, and uh, and everybody will be much happier. He's still he's still yes, cuddly wuddly bear cubs. <laughs> um, one one other thing, uh, as with all rules updates, uh, Yogatog spelled just like it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually has uh, puts up a version of all the rules that changed with the before and the after. So you can actually click on the uh, the rules changes and you will see, you know, here are all the sections that changed and then it'll highlight the word differences between the two. So you can actually see exactly what changed. Like if Matt Tabak's uh, uh, rules breakdown article wasn't good enough for you and you want to be a real rules weenie. All right, well, thanks for mentioning that. I'll add it to the show notes. Yeah, Yogatog. Yogatog, I love Yogatog. Yogatog. I guess people don't even know who Yogamoth is anymore. Like, we're so removed. He he probably wants it that way. Well, he's dead. It's it's his will. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. uh. That's just what he wants you to think, right? If they think I'm dead, they won't come looking for me. Yeah, but he's dead. No. Are we ready? No. Are we ready for emails? Yes. Jess, you got any more pre-release yeah. tales? 
Uh, not really. We had an awesome pre-release, but yeah. but that's not really what the show's about. So let's just get to that email. Let's do it. <laughs> this this first one is a doozy from uh, our pal Scott. He says, "Swing." It's the title is "Swinging Scepter Fleet." Oh man, this one has so many questions. Uh, so many cards in this one. Hi guys, I really enjoy your show and very much appreciate what you do for the game and the community as a whole. By the way, because we have so many emails to get through, I'm probably going to be skipping a lot of the introductory stuff. So I'm sorry if you emailed us and said something nice. But we got to get through these and I, I just can't read every part of every email. All right. Uh, Scott's question is Dexter has an Isochron Scepter imprinted with Doomblade and enchanted with Animate Artifact. Biney has enchanted Dexter with Paradox Haze and has enchanted Dexter Scepter with Pillory of the Sleepless. Oh, my gosh. Hey, you answered this email. I did. So that, so that means in theory, you, you've already thought about all this. These card interactions. Well, this was, I answered it on September 3rd. Eh, it's close enough. You got this, man. I, oh, my gosh. What's the what's the <laughs> final point here? If Dexter and the Dexter. Scepter with followed footsteps. I'm not even reading these cards, so this is this is exercise for the listener. Uh, will he receive each turn two Isochron Scepter creature tokens that will be freshly imprintable with new and exciting instants? And whom can it attack in swarms? Okay, so basically he made the Isochron Scepter a creature... He gave each player two upkeeps for some reason and then followed footsteps is at the beginning of your upkeep, put a creature token into play. That's a copy of Enchanted Creature. So he wants to know if the token, which is a copy of Enchanted Creature and a creature token of Isochron Scepter, uh, how many he gets and how many he can attack with. But And I'll go ahead and answer this one. But the bad news is, even though Followed Footsteps says it puts a creature token into play, and even though you know it's a copy of Enchanted Creature, what you're still getting is uh, more or less a freshly cast Isochron Scepter. Um, you can imprint onto it, but uh, the text creature token here, you know, Followed Footsteps expects that 99% of the time it's going to be actually enchanting a creature. But whenever you put a copy of a of a card on onto the battlefield or a token that is a copy of a card, it's more or less like you just cast that card fresh. So with his ridiculous combo here, what, six cards? <laughs> My first response is, what is a six card, some of which aren't even modern legal? Is this some kind of pre-L3 secret test? Um, the point is the copy is going to be an Isochron Scepter no matter what, even though it was an animated Isochron Scepter. Follow footsteps. Good, good. Everyone, good. Sure. That was a terrible one. To I'm, start I'm, off I'm with. still, I'm still reading. Like, oh, animate artifact. Got it. Uh, <laughs> uh. All of that was just to give him two upkeeps and animate the ice scepter. Like that's all, all that text does, so that he could put followed footsteps on it. All right. Next email from Dan Kegeras, titled "Cats, Angels, and Guild Leaders." Alan controls the Tristani Celestia's voice. An Archangel of Thune. Oh, these are awful ones to start with. <laughs> All right. Trostani Silesian's voice, an Archangel of Thune, and a Johnny Call of the Pride at eight counters. Alan is currently at 20 life. Alan activates a Johnny's negative eight ability, putting 22-2 cat tokens onto the battlefield. What is the end board state when all triggers are done resolving? So, Trostani says, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. And Archangel of Thune says, whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. You know what? I'm just going to read his explanation. Because <laughs> yeah, it was like, apparently this email sat like 20 days in our bin because like every time I looked at it, it was just kind of like, ah, I honestly, I'll fix this yeah. later. So his explanation is 20 triggers from Trustani go onto the stack. When the first resolves, Alan gains two life. Okay, so far so good because the power of the of the cat token is two. 
uh, triggering Archangel of Thune. Archangel's ability resolves, putting a plus one plus one counter on all creatures. Yep. When the second Tristani trigger resolves, all the cats are three three. So Alan gains three life, which triggers Archangel, putting a plus one plus one counter on all creatures. Blah 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 blah. He says the inboard state being all creatures get twenty plus one plus one counters, and the end life gain for the ability is two hundred and thirty due to math. Um, I didn't double check his math, but I'm just gonna assume it's right. But the, the more the important part is uh, you're going to have 20 triggers from Slesnia, for, from Tristani because all the cat tokens enter at once. So you have 20 life gain triggers and each one of them checks the power of the creature that entered uh, when the trigger resolves. And since it's being pumped every time you gain life due to Archangel of Thune, each time the life, the, the size of the creature is going to be bigger. So you're going to gain more life. Next, I'll let you guys talk on this next. Oh, OK. Hey, <laughs> I answered this one. All right. OK. So, uh, Scott, also known as Sporecase or Sporkassy or something, uh, says, uh, I've got a swamp imprinted upon an extra planar lens and an Urborg tomb of Yogmoth, or I've got a swamp imprinted on an extra planar lens, uh, a tomb of Yogmoth, some islands, and a few dual lands, underground river, dry on catacombs, etc., etc., uh, are in play under my control. Um, the, so basically, he's asking, in this scenario, is it possible to tap the islands and the dual lands for blue-blue, black-black, or blue-black? Feels like this is the case. Is this correct? Um, and the question and the answer is no. Um, so extra planar lens, what it says is, when extra planar lens enters the battlefield, you may exile target land you control. So in this case, he exiled the swamp. Whenever a land with the same name as the exiled card is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana to his or her mana pool of a, of the type that that land could produce. So, so the big thing here is extra planar lens actually cares about the name of the card, not the type. Okay, it's a little confusing because in this particular case, the type of the land and the name of the land are the same, um, but they are actually different. Okay, a swamp, you know, the card name swamp generally has a type of swamp, but those are two actually kind of separate things. Uh, so your Orborg Tomb of Yogmoth, even though it is a swamp, it is still named Orborg Tomb of Yogmoth. Your islands, even though they are a swamp, are still named islands. So extra planar lens doesn't interact with them in any meaningful way. That's sad. I know. I know. I, I love extra planar lens and EDH, and this this interaction always makes me sad as well. <laughs> In fact, it won't even make your – if you exile snow-covered planes, it won't make your plane staff for extra matter. Right, because they have different uh, snow-covered – Anyway. All right, next from Do How. He says, it's a standard GPT. Adrian controls a Thrag Tusk while Nick controls Olivia Valdarin. Uh, he cast last turn. Nick has two mana available, which is a Rakdos key rune and a land enchanted with Underworld connection. Adrian casts Putrefy, targeting Nick's Olivia Valdarin. Nick responds with, well, I'm going to ping Thragtus for one, but didn't physically tap his remaining two mana. Adrian says, okay. Then Adrian attacks with Thragtus, casts a Farseek, and says, go, while searching the library for Farseek. Meanwhile, Nick points to his land enchanted with Underworld Connection, says, I'm going to draw a card, then pays one life and draws a card. Adrian confirms the draw since he saw the land is untapped. Nick untaps and says, draw for turn. While his hand is over his library, Adrian noticed that he actually can't activate the Underworld Connection uh, because he did not tap the lands for Olivia and Valdarin's first ability, so the land should have already been tapped. At this point, Nick starts to argue that he didn't even draw the second card, so he asks if he could just count the card he's just drawn as the card he's going to draw in his draw step. The two players agree, can't agree on how to deal with it, and Adrian calls Judge. And he wants to know what's the infraction and penalty in this situation, and what's the possible remedy? Well, this is awkward. 
So the the infraction is a game rules violation, and the the actual infraction that occurred is the uh, that they didn't tap the lands for Olivia Voldaren's ability. Um, so assuming we rule out cheating here, as we usually do with these questions, right? Um, then we have. It's a game rule violation. There's going to be a warning issued for a game rule violation. And the question is, do we fix it? In order to fix it, we have to rewind the game, which you would always run by the head judge if you are not the head judge. Uh, you could rewind. You could not rewind. Uh, I guess you could deviate here, but there's really no reason to deviate here. So we're not going to do a halfway fix. The That's problem the is the problem is that rewinding means we rewind all the way back to the the first moment where the game rules were violated the game rules were not violated by activating the uh the underworld connection they were violated when he activated olivia Voldaren and didn't pay for it so to rewind we'd have to go through the combat step and the casting of farseek on the previous turn so we'd have uh we'd have the player who controlled olivia put a random card on top of their library put their life total back up by one uh you've got the underworld under the connection, attack. life uh, so, loss in the card and all that right. stuff um so i mean whether or not you rewind here is really up to you up to the head judge rather um but either is really correct i i i I know judges that would be inclined to rewind and judges that would be inclined to not rewind the question you need to ask yourself is which leads to the the most correct game state uh and i i think that rewinding here leads to the most correct game state yeah i agree i think i would rewind here i would also say that this one's this one's reaching my my borderline you know where well so there's the the iffy yeah. situation where well what if they drew a removal spell and we don't put it on top of their deck then when the guy attacks with the thrag tusk we could have a removal spell that they didn't have before yeah i don't i i am not going to rewind this that's it, it, literally not what you wrote in your response email. What is, is it? So I think this. What did I say? You said you think you would rewind. Uh, in this case, I think I would rewind. But but that's funny. That that actually touches on a point I want to make here. Is like when when judges give rulings, we try to be consistent um, with most rulings. But when it comes to whether or not to rewind, I think that's where we're going to find a lot of inconsistency between judges and that's okay like that's not something we're trying to stamp out it, different people have different feelings for when they would rewind a, a situation like this i think that's a typo because i was doing this on my phone while i was walking the dog yeah i don't think i would rewind because we've got you've got two card draws a far seat activation the combat and that's there's only one card draw to be fair he he did not draw for a turn so didn't he he drew for underworld connection yeah and then he drew for while his hand is over the library oh maybe <laughs> it doesn't really matter the the point is you can rewind or not here i mean that's that's really up to you so grv for nick uh failure to maintain gain save for adrian oh rewind or don't so so here's a here's a thing from a, a, a rewind that happened uh, during Star City Atlanta. Just a, a brief thing. So this is this is during I think the the semifinals, right? So I come so I go so I get called over there because the the the, the judge at the table he's he's asking for permission to rewind. And what happened was one of the players uh, cast uh, one of those angels for uh, that were uh, from uh, from Innistra or from. Um, uh, Avacyn Restored that requires, you know, like multiple white. I forget which one it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
So basically what the players, the, 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 he's, he didn't have enough white to cast it. And it was one of these things where it's like I sat down there and talked to the players and what they described happened was he tapped, he tapped the mana. It was after combat. He laid a land, tapped all his land, laid the angel down, then passed turn. His opponent drew a land and played it. Okay. That was all that, that uh, get there. That's what's happened. Yes. Okay. We're going to rewind. Everybody agree. This is all simple, everything. And they were like, yes, this is exactly what happened. The, the player who cast the angel kept wanting to know we can rewind the land dropped, right? Cause he played the wrong land. Okay. He meant to play like a, a blue white land and he played like a red green land or something mm-hmm. like that. That wouldn't let him, cause it was going to be game. If he was going to be able to cast this angel, then Glenn, who's doing coverage, like after we've rewound it, says, wait a minute, he's got an extra land. And what they what the players had forgotten was after the the you know, after he played the angel, passed it to the guy, he drew and played a land, he passed it back to the other guy who play who drew and played a land. So even having the players just sitting there and the judge sitting there all agreeing on exactly what had happened. And we start to do the, the rewind and everything's okay. This is what's happened. We're undoing it. And then someone else is like, hey, wait a minute. No, completely forgot about this other thing. And it just, oh, it was it was messy. Bleh. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Anyway. Uh, so so basically the, the, the point is rewinds um, can be, you are relying very heavily on the players remembering what had happened. Like if Glenn hadn't have been there and I mean, he was the coverage guy, you know, like looking at his notes and he just kind of like looked over and he was like, otherwise that would have been completely missed that that guy had another land, you know, because in this particular case, it was an interaction. Both players agreed what the game state was going to needed to look like, and they were both wrong. So lesson so. rewinds are dangerous <laughs> next email from michael says my question is regarding every judge's favorite card when talking about rules interaction i know what you are thinking oh great another spectral searchlight question but this one is an interesting <laughs> one i believe i never heard of this card before this email really so it's an artifact you tap it and it says choose a player that player adds one mana of any color he or she chooses to his or her mana pool so if it's your artifact you choose the player and then they choose the color of mana they want to add uh, and this is, in fact, a mana ability because, you know, it doesn't it doesn't target. Um, it's not a loyalty ability. <laughs> so this is a mana ability. It doesn't use a stack, all that stuff. Uh, he says in his email, he says, that, so this ability is a mana ability. Mana abilities don't use a stack. And lastly, you may use mana abilities when casting a spell. He then goes on to give a scenario about the card. Um, but he actually where basically he's in a team. What is this like a team pro tour? And no, he he's he's trying to construct a scenario uh, where when we had that where we had that one episode where we were talking about like knowingly taking an illegal action mm-hmm. and and having to do a rewind. Uh, he's basically trying to set up a situation where he basically gets a guy to start to cast a spell because he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a searchlight mana. And so the guy starts to cast the spell. And then when it comes time to activate mana abilities, you just kind of sit back and say, like, sorry, bro, I'm not going to give you a mana for my spectral searchlight. And then kind of like what happens is someone cheating at that point. Yeah. So the problem here, of course, is that if someone else is casting a spell, you don't get permission to activate mana abilities. They do. And this is your mana ability. So this whole situation can't work as it's written. So that's that. Spectral Searchlight, my favorite card. I was really thinking Bear Cub 
from the from the title, <laughs> and then and I opened it up. Spectro Searchlight would I could probably have named a thousand cards and not hit. How many cards are there in Magic? Eighteen hundred. I had a lot. I could I could have probably uh, named uh, way more than eighteen thousand. You mean eighteen thousand? Yeah. I could have probably named ten thousand and not hit Spectral Searchlight. I think so. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of that card. I never heard of it. I honestly hadn't. Next email comes from Ben Counter. Uh, he has some questions about the Judge program itself. I would like to participate in helping the game and its community. However, I'm not great with conflict and other thorny areas. Uh, that I associate with acting as a referee. Is it possible to be involved with a judge program without being at the sharp end as a floor judge? Are there roles for prospective judges to look at other than floor judging? I didn't have a lot to say to him. I I recommended that he might want to take the the rules advisor test to kind of show that he might be the rules guy in his local group without having to be an actual judge. Well, there's 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 areas for for all different types of people. Right. Okay. So obviously, if you're if you're going out and you're playing at F and M at your store, you should be known. I mean, you're you're friends with these guys, right? Presumably, unless you're like the, the jerk that's like shoving them all around and stuff like that, and no one likes you. But in general, you know, you're you're friends with these guys, so you should have you should be able to have a relationship with them, and you should be able to. I mean, if you're the rules guy, you're gonna kind of naturally gravitate into that position of the authority um so if you want to be a judge okay a level one judge is a store level judge so if you're answering rules questions maybe entering in results that kind of thing you're doing the job of a level one judge already so the question is like is it is it possible you know is it possible to be involved in the judge program uh without being a floor judge yeah i mean you don't have to you don't have to attend grand prix or star city opens or ptqs or anything like that to be a judge it is perfectly fine and acceptable there is there is absolutely nothing wrong with being an l1 at your local fnm shop and and being happy there if you want to do more, sure, you know, you can get involved and do other stuff as well. Um, However, uh, it's not necessarily like I'm not sure if that's what he's asking. Like, you okay. can't you can't be it is not possible to be a magic judge without taking judge calls. Um, that is a true statement. You you are going to be answering questions from players <clears throat> as a judge. If somebody cheats, you have a responsibility there. But. Generally speaking, players are very cordial with judges, and there's nothing thorny about it when you take a judge call. Uh, They want an answer to their question. You're providing them an answer to the question, and everybody moves about their day happy. You will occasionally get awkward situations or things like life total disputes, which are going to come down to you kind of going, I think this is what's happening. Uh, But it's really like I think maybe – Like he's listening to our show, but he's not a judge. And I think maybe he's just like we're scaring him, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we talk about are the exceptions, the interesting scenarios and the stuff that you you find when you're floor judging. Even if you're the floor judge at a large event like a Grand Prix, it's not hard Uh, and it's really not about conflict. In fact, if you're worried about conflict, the best place to go judge is a big event like a Grand Prix because you're going to have people that have your back. You're going to have people that teach you how to handle that conflict. And when you go, I, I don't know how to handle this. this there's conflict here. You're going to have a team lead or an L3 nearby who you can go, hey, this is what's going on this table. I don't know how to handle it. Right. And they're going to teach you how to handle it. The the um, the other thing with with dealing with conflict is everyone sucks starting out. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I mean, just just like this is this is not exactly, you know, there are exceptions where people come in and they're like, oh, well, I've got this job and I deal with, you know, you know, you know, I'm a prison guard. I deal with prisoners all day. So I know how to deal with a rowdy person or something along. The, no, most, most <laughs> that, that's excessive. What? Well, I mean, yeah, when you take the nightstick out and be like, this is my final ruling. And just, <laughs> yeah, I, hold, up, hold up the nightstick or a gun and just be like, would you like to appeal? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but unless you have unless you have a unless you have a job um, that has that has prepared you in some form or fashion to deal with conflict, you're probably going to be bad. And guess how you get better? You just do it. I mean, you can you can sit back and read all these books and stuff like that. But when you're actually in a situation, you don't really have a whole lot of time to be like, oh, well, uh, you know, Dr. Phil said that if someone s- stands up to me, I need to I, I actually don't know what Dr. Phil says. So <laughs> some insert some pithy southern phrase here. But, but yeah, you're just gonna you're gonna get in there. You're gonna do it, and you're, you're gonna screw up once or twice, yeah, probably. Um, are you gonna learn from it? Hopefully. And are you gonna keep going and persevere and improve? Definitely. So, so to be part of the judge program, you're gonna take judge calls. And if you want to progress in the judge program, <clears throat> excuse me. If you want to progress in the judge program, you're gonna be a floor judge. But that's not the end all be all of judging. There's so much more you could take part in. And, and after you get some experience, you're going to have to learn how to floor judge. But after you get some experience at that, there are so many other things you can do well, as a judge. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know when you, when you say floor judge, like in my mind, I'm thinking one of those judges in the black shirt that's wandering up and down the aisles at a, a, a PTQ or an SCG open or something like that. OK, if you know, if you're just the guy who's answering the rules questions at FNM right now, you know, that's that's in a, in a lot of in a lot of the important ways. That's a judge. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I meant when I said progress in the judge program, I meant go up in levels. In the judge well, no, well, I mean, you were saying floor. He's specifically saying floor judging and, and you use the term. So I just want to, you know, as far as like what the mental image of floor judging is. Okay. There's there is the floor the act, action of floor judging, which is you are on the floor, you are watching the game and stuff like that. But then there's also judges at an F and M because they're actually playing. You're not really floor judging at that point, but you're still a judge at the event. You're still taking judge calls, but you're not walking the floor. You just kind of you're sitting there playing your your xenograft naming noggles or whatever, and then someone uh, calls for judging. You get up and you go over there and deal with it. You know. And if he's if he's scared of actually like getting in the black shirt. And walking up and down the aisles, you don't have to do that. Noggle is an actual creature type. I checked. Noggle is a creature type. <laughs> what, what, where are you coming? Get out of here, Shadowmore, man. <laughs> or uh, uh, what? What came after that? Eventide. Yeah, Noggles, Donkey Men. All right, have you guys finished with that topic? I think so. Great. Next email from. Joe, but I no, okay. I, I think I think that's good information you guys are putting out there. Um, much better than what I replied with. But our next email is from Joe. Uh, he sent us some Gen Illuminatus questions in the past, and now he has. I remember that question. More Gen Illuminatus questions for us. Uh, he also says some nice things to us, but we can't read all of that right now. Uh, so as a reminder, because everyone probably doesn't love Gen Illuminatus as much as this guy does, uh, it's a creature and it reads each instant and sorcery spell you cast as replicate. The replicate cost is equal to its mana cost. And 
replicate basically uh, here's a reminder text is when you cast it copy it for each time you paid its replicate cost replicate cost you may choose new targets for the copies all right he has gen illuminatus out and he casts turbulent dreams which reads as an additional cost to cast turbulent dreams discard x cards from your hand then it says return x target non-land permanent to the owner's hands he asks when i replicate turbulent turbulent dreams do the copies know the number of cards i discarded to the original spell and copy that value as well I assume yes, as the discarding is part of the cost of casting Turbulent Dreams. That is correct. Yes, you assume correct. Number two, Gen Illuminatus and Kindle the Carnage. All these cards I've never heard of. It reads, discard a card at random. If you do, Kindle the Carnage deals damage equal to that card's converted mana cost to each creature. You may repeat this process any number of times. Yes. When I replicate Kindle the Carnage, I presume the copies require me to discard cards to them as well as the original spell, since the discarding is part of the effect and thus not a copyable value. And if so, it's a waste of mana to replicate the spell. Also correct. Yes. Excellent. He discarded a spectral searchlight. <laughs> All right. No more Gen Illuminati. <laughs> Done with that one. <laughs> no, I would have expected Illuminatus to come up way higher than Spectral Searchlight, by the way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It would have been in that first 10,000. Yeah, easy. easy in the first 10,000. <laughs> uh, next questions are from Brad. Uh, he says he listened to JudgeCast number 74 a few days ago and said something about we can still request a name badge, whatever that is. He says he's moving to Japan in a few, we- <clears throat> few weeks and is... Um, weeks. Weeks. Podcast. Podcast Pro, and I figured tangible cred would help with establishing myself in the new community. Um, so basically mentioned that you can get, as a judge, you can get a name badge, but you have to request them from your regional coordinator. Uh, he wanted, yeah, that, I mean, that's all a name badge is. It's a little magnetic clip that you put on your, your shirt or whatever. And then what did you suggest to him, Brian? What? Oh, I just said that, that judges in, uh, what did I suggest? Good luck in Japan. The judge culture over there is very different from the U.S., um, so just, uh, uh, you know, yeah, get in there, get into it. But if they act different than you're used to, I mean, that's a cultural thing. And, and the point is, uh, if you want to name, if you're a certified judge and you want a name badge, you go through your regional coordinator to get one. And so in Brad's case, he should go through his new regional coordinator in Japan. Next question from the Chad. Yes. Sorry, it's funny because you, you responded with the Brian. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously I'm going to respond with the Brian. He has a quick question. I have a smokestack with three soot counters on it. So smokestack, for those who don't know. At the beginning of your upkeep, put, you may put a soot counter on smokestack. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a permanent for each soot counter on smokestack. And my opponent goes untapped. Beginning of the upkeep, put the smoke sticker smokestack. <laughs> I'm losing it tonight. You are. Smoke sticker. All smoke sticker. Put, put the smoke sticker pud, on the stack. Pudcust Pro. Pudcust Pro. Pudcust. Pudcust. Pudcust Pro. We record twice a whack or whatever you said. <laughs> Every other whack. <laughs> he casts uh, disenchant to destroy the smokestack. So with the trigger on the stack or the, the smoke trigger <laughs> on the stack, he casts disenchant to destroy the smokestack. Disenchant resolves. <laughs> Uh, when the smoke trigger goes to resolve, does he sacrifice three permanents, <laughs> which was the number of counters on smokestack when the trigger was put on the stack, or does he sacrifice zero since the smokestack that trigger doesn't have any counters on it since it was destroyed? Which is it? Okay, so basically, when it goes, when the trigger goes to resolve, uh, it basically goes to check to see how many how many counters are on the smokestack. But Smokestack ain't there no more. So the game uses this thing called last known information um, in that particular case to determine how many counters it had. 
And so how many counters did it have when it was last on the battlefield? Three. So you're going to get three. Uh, the, the issue is basically whenever a, a, an effect um, requires information about the source uh, and the source is missing, then you use last known information. So three, three permanent. Three. From the smoke's trigger. Yeah, the smoke's trigger. So, I mean, there's like some other cases, too, where it uses last known information, too. But that that right there is if you need to know information about the source and the source is gone, use this last known information. Next question comes from Dylan. I literally responded to this one today, so that's awkward. He says, I control a 3-3. My opponent controls a trained condor and a scroll thief with illusionary armor on it. So the scroll thief isn't important here, but trained condor... Uh, reads, whenever trained condor attacks another target creature you control gains flying until end of turn and illusionary armor, um, it pumps the creature, but it says whenever enchanted creature becomes a target of a spell or ability, sacrifice illusionary armor. Uh, my opponent attacks with both his creature and misses his trigger, and I don't point it out. So we're talking about the trained condor trigger, which although it is it is a may, oh, it's not even a may, but either way, uh, you know, it's a trigger that happens and he has to target the scroll thief because those are his only two creatures. Um I block his scroll through with scroll thief with my three three and then call a judge and request that my opponent's condor trigger is put on the stack. Is this a legal play? Is scroll screef a card? Hey, hey. If if we make fun of my pronunciations, we'll never get through the show. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Podcast pro. Podcast pro. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's that's a legal play. Um it's it's so it's kind of one of these things in the mistrigger policy by allowing you, the opponent, to put the trigger on the stack. We are having to give you a little bit of, you know, where you, you can actually miss the, you know, realize or you can forget about the trigger for a little while, too, you know, and then remember it. And in that particular case, it's it's um, it's kind of awkward to say, like, oh, well, if you didn't remember it. Uh, uh, or if, if you didn't remember it in this short time period, uh, let me see here how to, how to phrase this. I'm struggling here a little bit. It's late <laughs> making fun of CJ and his pud custing. Um, so we give you the option to put the trigger on the stack, but just like the player with the trigger can actually forget to, to do things and miss stuff. You, the opponent can also miss stuff too, but you still can, can call and get that trigger, uh, put on the stack. Uh, the reason why we shortened it from a turn cycle to a turn is to kind of reduce the window of these kind of shenanigans. But it's still going to we, – we can't close that window entirely by giving the opponent the option to, to call a judge over and have it put on the stack. We either have to give them a window in which they can do it or make it near instantaneous immediate. And – near instantaneous immediate isn't a good option a whole turn cycle isn't a good option so we kind of fall in the middle of just a turn i'd like to point out something that while you will see this kind of of play at a very competitive event doing this kind of makes you a jerk <laughs> uh, oh no doubt like if, is this legal yeah it's legal but there's there so you know just because it's legal doesn't it is legal by tournament policy it doesn't lead to a clean game of magic this is like hitting somebody below the belt right and you know if you're you know, playing for ten thousand dollars at the pro tour, then maybe you feel like being a jerk is appropriate. But if this is F and M, don't be a jerk. Right, please. It it basically it basically uh, uh, boils down to 
unsporting con there is there is behavior that is not sporting and there is behavior that is unsporting this is just you know not sporting behavior right. it's not unsporting if you get the if you get the distinction there's you're not going to get a penalty for it is what he's right. saying yeah but it's rude you're being a jerk if you do it i'm not saying the our writers being a jerk but like somebody who does this it is legal but that guy is not my favorite person yeah and, and the truth we is, like we like players playing the game not playing the ipg when, so we we did reduce this window to as small as small as we felt comfortable with but yeah, there's still a window there. When the policy changed to first allow this, everyone you know thought this was just going to be happening left and left and right. But the truth is, I've actually never heard it happen ever. Well, I definitely, I definitely have seen stuff like this. Happen. Okay, like I've never Pretty, heard uh, of someone sitting on a on a trigger and waiting to. It happens frequently with werewolves. Okay. Yeah. Now, one one thing that I do want to definitely definitely make clear. Okay, other things sitting on other game rule violations and bringing them up when it is to your advantage okay like a player casts a spell for the wrong mana you know and then you get to see what they do with it and then you call a judge over that is cheating okay so if miss triggers you are allowed to call a judge and have that trigger put on the stack but if you are if you observe something else okay and you wait to call a judge until it is to your advantage and it is not a mistrigger that you are cheating. And as Trionic Resonator reminds us, triggers start with the words when, whenever, or at. Okay, so if it doesn't start with one of those words, it's not a mistrigger. If you sit on it and it's not a trigger, that's cheats. All right, let's talk about a different trigger with his other ability, with his next question. He says it's a four-player game, and he casts an Avenger of Zendikar. So when Avenger of Zendikar enters the battlefield, put a 0-1 green plant creature token onto the battlefield for each land you control. And it resolves. <clears throat> this is this is relation back to our re- replacement X. Ex- oh, my gosh. Yeah. This goes back to our replacement effect episode. He says, in response to a trigger, each player casts and resolves a gather specimen, which basically says uh, creatures enter the battlefield under your control this turn instead of the uh, control it was going to be. Um, as all the tokens come into play, do we get to token by token apply the replacement effects or does it apply to all of them at once? And also, how do you order the replacement effects? Who wants to tackle this? Because I didn't want to. Uh, I think you just do one. Uh, you do them. You do each creature. You basically just stovepipe each creature and run through them all. Right. Blam, 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 blam. Yeah, and I think if you want more information on this specific interaction, just listen to our replacement effects episode. Yeah, he's not going to get like that level of detail. I think we get to the end and we're like, and now you do it all for all the sa- all the plant tokens, and we just kind of like, ha ha ha, have a good laugh, and then move on. Because <laughs> because it's messy, and this is why it's messy. Yeah. But I mean, it's you do one creature at a time. Uh, he also says he stumbled upon a an SBA look uh, loop state based action loop. Uh, he says if you control but do not own a lich's mirror, which says if you lose a game game instead shuffle your hand your graveyard and all permanents you own into your library, then draw seven cards and your life total becomes twenty. And you have ten poison counters on it. You will create an SBA loop of continuously replacing losing and then losing again. So yep. what is that a draw? This is actually an FAQ for Lich's Mirror. Is it good? Yeah. Wait, what? So, With poison counters even? Well no, it was just like if if a situation gets created where you're you're losing and then losing again and uh or no it addresses it addresses the fact uh the situation where you control but do not own a Lich's Mirror. Oh okay okay. There's actually it's multiple like, ways to force 
SBA infinite loops like we're describing. Um, you, you can do something similar with um, there, there's some platinum, platinum angel ways to do it. Uh, I think there's one you can do with like, is it Darksteel Forge? No, not the Forge. There's another one. Anyway, um, basically, if an infinite loop like this will be created, the game will be drawn. Right. Yep. Lich's Mirror, also not in the top 10,000 cards <laughs> that I would think is our favorite. All right, next from Ben. Or, well, he signed it a devoted listener, so everyone forget I just said Ben. He says he uh, he lives in a small town, and he's the rules advisor slash guy for his shop. He wants to be a judge, but there's not a strong magic community around where he lives and no helpful level two judges within a reasonable drive. How can he get a judge test without that level of judge community to support him and create a test for him? He's willing to study, he's willing to work for it, uh, but he's just, he needs a judge around to test him. Uh, this one's pretty easy, and it's something I think we say a lot on this episode, on this show is... If you ever have questions like this, just contact your regional coordinator. They will help you out. Yep. They'll put you in contact with a local level two if one exists. Um, if if situation is is really dire where it's like impossible to get someone to test you, they may be able to talk about remote certification. But all of that's up to your uh, regional coordinator. And hopefully uh, there should be like a PTQ at some point within a two hour drive from you. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, what's what's reasonable? I mean, there's there's some crazy people that think like, oh, four hours got that on it. And then others are like, oh, well, half an hour. Come on. I work. So, you know, look, look for PTQs in your in your area, because there's going to be there's there should be several level twos there as well. Next emails from Matt. Um, he says some kind praise to us, which I'm unfortunately skipping over. I says, the only question I have for you now that you possibly covered, uh, that you may have covered in previous casts is, do you have to retake the rules advisor test to stay one, um, to stay a level one? And is the rules advisor test technically a level zero? Does anyone want to cover this? I got this. You got it. I got this, this, I got to take the hard ones like this. <laughs> um, so no, uh, and also no. Okay, great. Um, so... <laughs> Next. No. Um, so the rules advisor test, there, there is no such thing as technically a level zero judge. Um, the, the, the level zero is what we use to describe judges who are judging but not certified. So if somebody comes to help me judge an event because they want to become a certified judge but they're not certified yet, we would refer to them as a level zero judge. It doesn't have a technical definition. Uh, so there's no way to certify as a level zero judge. Uh, the second question about – I'm sorry, I'm lost at. What was the second question? He, he was asking, um, do you have to take rules advisor to remain as a level one? Oh, no, 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 no. You absolutely do not. Uh, you will get an email that says your rules advisor is about to expire, but if you're a level one judge, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. My rules advisor expired. <laughs> no, I take ago. it I take it again anyway, personally. I, like, I do too, uh, but I don't think it ever got updated that I took it, so I was just like, whatever, I don't care. It's basic basically the rule the rules advisor program is is it is a test it is independent certification that you are a knowledgeable guy in the rules so if you are the rules guy at your store you're not interested necessarily interested in judging or maybe you are but not necessarily um and you just want that that little extra of i i am a smart rules guy and here is evidence of that um and it gets you access to the L1 practice test if you are interested in that thing. A lot of people are because it's awesome. Um, but that's that's kind of what the rules advisor, the whole rules advisor program is, is just uh, verifying that you are you have a certain level of competence in the rules so you can feel confident and comfortable 
that you you are given correct rulings. Next. It also lets you make L1 practice tests. Did you say that? No. In case you want yes, to be able to make those. I did. I did. Okay, great. Next email from Darren. Uh, he has a question uh, from our last episode regarding devotion. My question is this. Does devotion check even during the resolution of spells or only during state-based actions? My understanding is that most abilities that would work like this are only checked during state-based actions. Why then does flickering a creature with a restoration angel trigger or cloud shift cause a god to stop being a creature during the resolution of the ability spell? Um, saying that you flickered a card and made it go below devotion briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that like that, guys? Because this this isn't a state-based action. Um, this is a continuous effect. Yeah. It's a continuous effect that says as long as your devotion is below X, um, then this is not a creature. Uh, that duration can start and end at any time that those conditions are met. And that's the state-based actions are only for certain things. There's a list of state-based actions. I think there's like 18 of them. And uh, and many of them are redundant, <laughs> like a team and two-headed giant that has zero life loses the game. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So state-based actions are only for those specific things that are listed as state-based actions. Uh, what this is is a continuous effect. Yeah, I've heard this understanding a lot, actually, that – that people believe that this needs to wait for state-based actions to check. And I'm not sure where that comes from. Well, they, they, they're probably used to state-based actions just being checked before a player receives priority. So they think you also check the layers because when you would check for state-based actions too. Hmm. But, but really this, this is a, this is a continuous effect. It applies to the layers and when are the, when are the layers applied? Anytime you need to know anything about the game, right. they are it's continuous because they are checked continuously. So you do you do anything, you move anything to anywhere, anything changes at all. Well, I think we're going to run through the layers. So when you cloud shift something, well, you just exiled something. Okay, something just changed. Well, we're going to run through the layers and see how removing that changes things. Oh, and it came right back. Well, we're going to run through the layers again and see how that changes things. Even though that's all during the resolution of a spell and no one got priority, them little layers are just grinding away, working through things, changing stuff. And just for that brief period of time, wasn't a, wasn't a, uh, a creature. So Them little layers? Them little layers. Do, do they have cute? Uh, obviously. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, the only thing I want to add to that is that we... So, like just said, state-based actions are only... It's a specific list of things that are the state-based actions, and those are the things checked during state-based actions. Uh, we have an episode specifically about them. It, you can find it on judgecast.com. It's uh, named State-Based Action Robots, if I remember correctly. It is. So, you can go listen to that if you want to know everything about state-based actions. I'm playing that song in my head now. Our next email, titled A Quick Question, from Adam, reads... Angie has a Tomio the Moon Sage and a stuffy doll enchanted with Pariah. Ned casts Lightning Bolt targeting Angie, but wants to redirect to Tomio. Will Tomio take the damage or will it be directed to Stuffy Doll? So Tomio's a planeswalker. We don't need to read her. Stuffy Doll says, um, you choose a player when it enters, it's indestructible. And whenever Stuffy Doll is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to the chosen player. Um, and Pariah reads all, it, it's an aura that it attaches to a creature and it reads that, um, Something like all damage is redirected from you to the creature, to that creature. Yeah. So this is this is 
kind of a weird one um, in the sense that there's there's actually two people making choices. So whenever you have replacement effects that affect a person uh, or, or a person's object or something that they control, that person gets to decide which one applies first. Okay, so we have we have two replacement effects. We have uh, Pariah's replacement effect uh, and the Planeswalker redirection effect. Okay, both both are redirection effects. Now we haven't actually uh, Ned hasn't made the decision as to whether or not he is going to redirect it or not. He's going to make that choice when the redirection effect is applied. Okay, in whatever order it's applied in. So Angie's going to get to decide whether she wants the bolt redirected to the stuffy doll or she wants to allow uh, Ned the option to redirect it to Tamio. So, so Angie gets to decide one, whichever happened, what which happens first, right? Because she is the okay, affected so, player, right? So she gets to basically say, since she's the affected player, she can say, oh well, it's going to go to Pariah, and since it's going to Pariah now, uh, uh, there is no issue about whether or not it's going to go to Tamio or not. If she decides to allow the Planeswalker replacement effect to apply first, then Ned gets the option of whether or not he wants it to stay with Angie or go to Tamio. If it goes to Tamio, great, then the pariah doesn't happen. If it goes, if he decides not to use that, then Angie now uh, will will send it uh, to Stuffy Doll. Okay. Okay. So, but realistically, what she would do here is just go ahead and apply Pariah first, and then the Planeswalker redirection rule would not apply at all. Right. Like, strategically, that's what she would do. Strategery. But we don't talk about strategery. No, we don't. Well, maybe once a walk on a different poo coast. <laughs> Our next email comes from Sam. Sam Craven. That's a cool name. Oh, he wrote a poem. I'm going to read it. Oh, geez. I can Urzway Judge Cast, where Judge Cast loves to hear that unicorns may be betrayed with trees and bears with glasses, elephants with holes, lions with toils, and judges with flatterers. But when I tell Judge Cast that Judge Cast hates flatterers, Judge Cast say they do, being then most flattered. <laughs> Julius Caesar, Act 2, Scene 2, slightly modified. I want to look this up. <laughs> I, I didn't even notice this one. Uh, he says he wants to chime in a little bit about a little thing on episode 74. Y'all hemmed and hauled. I don't think we've ever hemmed or hauled a bit over whether to discuss how to fill out the back of a match slip. Oh, yeah, I remember this. While I'm now looking to become a judge, when I first started listening, it was more out of interest for what judges do and how things work. I think on questions like these where you'll know the first time you do it, it would still be useful to let us listeners know what's up as some of us might not um, ever have a first time. Also, I think you spent just as much time arguing over it as you did talking about it. You know, I actually wrote a reply to this and didn't actually send it. Didn't you? That's funny. Yeah. Well, I did. Should we should we discuss whether or not to answer this question? You no, know, we're answering it. For, okay. <laughs> On the back, you put your name, first last, player's name, last first. Then you put the um, the oh. what do we call it? The category? Yeah. The category That's of the fun. infractions, like tournament. Yeah, like the major. There, yeah. There's there's three big categories. Yeah. You know. Gameplay error, tournament error, USC. And then you put the uh, actual infraction, so game rule violation. Then you put what the penalty is, because even though it's game rule violation, it could have been upgraded or something, so you're going to put warning or game loss. And then usually below that, I write a note about what happened. Um, the main thing about the note there is that that penalty is public information to, for both players. So if um, if it's information the opponent shouldn't already have, like say the guy drew extra cards and he drew, you know, a doom blade and the opponent didn't know he had a doom blade. Don't write, you know, drew a doom blade when he shouldn't have just wrote draw an extra card. 
or Declan's problem. Right, I was going to yeah. say that. That's where that normally comes from. Yeah, out. it does. Yeah, registered five, uh, you know, whatevers. I couldn't come up with a single spectral searchlight. Yes. <laughs> um, the only other thing I want to mention about that is, like, the reason we write it like that is because that makes it easier for the person inputting it to put it into were. Um, I think it's a little easier. I think it was a little easier on DCIR. I'm not 100% on that. But for Wizards Event Reporter, it's it's basically kind of the same order that Wizards Event Reporter has things. And, and I I want to say the reason why we kind of hemmed and hawed or, or poo-pooed going over it is because it's actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point it out. It's actually on the list of things that you are specifically not required to know to test for L2. Like apparently it's this perception uh, or was or used to be that in order to be considered L2 material, you need to know how to one of the things you need to know is how to fill out the back of a match slip. And that is not the case. So I think that might've actually played, played into it a little bit. Uh, I'm guessing. Um, but, uh, uh, and the other, the other point you guys made, which was valid, which is why I didn't, I don't think I forgot, fought it anymore was that it is regional also like in Europe. They think they do it differently than what I just said. They do. So talk to your so head judge of, about what they want. Done. All of you, all of you Europeans out there, um, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And also your dates are written weird. Yeah, they are. And you don't like use this, this, you use meters and, or, or CJ pronounces it meters. Meters. Yeah. <laughs> meters. Kilometer. Meter. <laughs> Sentai meters. <laughs> and kilo. Kilo. Okay. You're not going to believe me, but I had a science teacher um, in high school or something that pronounced it a thermometer. But well, they do I mean, that to be funny? No, that's how he actually pronounced it. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, you don't believe me. No one believes me when I say that. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from Tyler. Well, you know, and I know how I, when I get in the car, I use the odometer. Right. The odometer. The odometer. How many shapeshifters you have hanging around? <laughs> oh, look at you with the DS9 joke. <laughs> um, our next email comes from Tyler. I don't listen to the show. Oh, they're called changelings, actually. I don't listen to the show, but my friend does. And he said I should ask you this question as it's been A on my mind. friend. Yeah. Wink. Wink. Um, if I have Perforos's Emissary, um, which reads that it can't be blocked except by two or more creatures, enchanted with an alpha authority, which says that enchanted creature has hexproof and can't be blocked by more than one creature, does it become unblockable? Strictly okay. speaking, no, because unblockable is a discontinued word, so it be can't be blocked. Yes, look at you technicalities. <laughs> so let's 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 read what Perforos's uh, emissary does. I already said it. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, can't be blocked except by two or more creatures. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> so yes, it's essentially it's essentially unblockable. You uh, when blocking, you have to meet as many requirements without any violating any restrictions. So. Uh, you have, uh, yeah, you can't make any blocks. Because if you do make any blocks, you're violating a restriction. Womp womp. Next question. See, he won't even read that. He won't even hear that response since he doesn't listen. Well, no, no, no. Because in the email, I told him that that by reading his email response, that he was entering into a binding contract to listen to at least one episode. Okay, great. Our next email comes from Chris. Uh, he says, what would happen if I cast the spoils of the vault with no cards in my library? Name me a card of which none are le- left in my library or slash name me a card of which none are left. So spoils of the vault has you name a card, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal the named card, then put that card into your hand, remove all other cards revealed this way from the game, and you lose one life for each of the removed cards. Uh, he says he needed to do this to up to his storm count um, by one to win off a grape shot. However, no one knew what would happen. 
So guys, what happens here? He has zero cards in his library and he casts spoils of the vault and he names who cares? He names a spectral searchlight because that is surely not in his deck. Okay, so he's gonna he's gonna reveal zero cards. He's gonna exile zero cards, and he's gonna lose zero life. Cool. Yeah, uh, I think he had some concern that he might lose the game here, but you only lose the game from drawing off of an empty library. Which is which is what a state based action. A state based <laughs> action. <laughs> it took me a second there. I was like, what What are you asking? <laughs> Do you notice that Chris's Chris's email address is Chris.wombat? I try not to read people's email addresses online on the show. Well, we didn't give I didn't give the rest of it. Yeah. You didn't give that it was at Yahoo. Wink. Wink wink. <laughs> or Yahoo. He probably has like he probably has a main account at Yahoo and now he's gonna get all this spam email because he used his junk email account for us or something. Anyway, he says he's from the UK, whoop, whoop, and have never actually met a judge, despite having regularly played at six or seven large local game stores. Uh, the judging community seems pretty well hidden. Uh, he said, well, is there anything you would recommend in this situation to start going down the glorious judging road? Once again, contact your regional coordinator. That would be Kim Warren. Kim Warren. Yep. And I gave him the information for that. I also sent him the podcast that we talked about becoming a judge, and that's the one we had John Laux on. Uh, that episode title is The Lauxius Cast. He's a Wizards employee now. Yes, he is. Thanks to us. Aww. Yes, we're going to take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, we took care. We took credit for Sean Cadenese being level four. We did. Is there anything else we can take credit for? I'm pretty sure we're the reason Jared's a level four, too. <laughs> Seems fair. Seems good. Oh, OK, here we go. Next email from Josh Carr. Josh wrote a song of praise to us. This praise thing has gotten out of control, but he wrote an entire song. And Versus. Yeah. It has 20 lines. Um, and so here's the crazy thing. We got someone to record this song. <laughs> so special thanks to Rob Cronister for recording this song. Here it goes. Sing a song of Judge Cast, a toast I will acclaim. From IRC to Tourney Halls, will I resound their fame? Email says show patience with segues their sharp wit The dulcet sonnets of their voices cause my heart to quit I sing a song of CJ, the man of editing power Who comes each fortnight on his blessings of the cast a shower The card names and the doctor who may oft elude his mind Without his steady tiller hand the show it would unwind Sing a song of Perlman, everybody's favorite too. Wait, he is an L3 now, since when has that been true? He's been on every tangent and around them he won't skirt. But how am I to trust his true? He's not older than dirt. I sing a song of just tongues, the one who sometimes missing. He and his bonnie last specter off somewhere a kissing. When it comes to modern rules, he's certainly no scrub. Yet he won't speak the name of that creature to our. I sing a song of Judge Cast, my lungs shall never weary. Until each magic player has been resigned of every query. Let us always hold these pillars of our game in high esteem. Till all our magic playing days. Into dreams. Absolutely amazing. That is awesome. 
I was I was when I was listening to that this morning, I was I was at my desk at work and I was just had this big stupid grin on my face the whole time. It, it it's fantastic. So guys, this this is we we made hey, Jared doesn't have a song. <laughs> Kananese doesn't have a song. I don't think Laux has a song either. Nope. We got a song. And they have like they have two billion listeners and a Kickstarter over at Limited Resources. We don't have any of that, and we got a song. We got a song. Now he also has a rules question. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thanks again to to A, Josh Carr for writing the song and B, Rob Cronister for recording the song. I'll, I'll post an MP3 that is just the song and I'll also post lyrics to the song in um, in the show notes. Yeah, it was just wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Guys, it really it really, really means a lot to us that 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 you guys did this. So but I love that after this, you. he says, now that I have that out of the way, a short question. <laughs> <laughs> Could you give me an explanation of what's going on rules-wise when you steal an opponent's creature with a death trigger and it dies while under your control? My understanding is that you would control the death trigger from the opponent's creature. It makes sense to me intuitively that you would say, get Thragtus, leave the battlefield trigger. But it seems weird to me that you don't get a death trigger when the ability doesn't actually go on the stack until the creature hits your opponent's graveyard. Thanks. Ooh, this is one of my favorite topics. Okay. Uh, this, this is what we call a zone change trigger. Yeah. Uh, zone change triggers do all sorts of things, but one of the things that they do is they look back to see how the permanent existed on the battlefield before this this thing triggered. Uh, and how it existed on the battlefield was under your control. Uh, and then, so, so because of that, you're the controller of the trigger, you put the trigger on the stack, and in the case of Thragtusk, you will put the creature into play under your control. Yeah, yep. pretty, pretty much. It's It's... And it's kind of weird because when when things are entering the battlefield, we look at it immediately after the event. And when it's leaving the battlefield, we look at it immediately before the event. But that's kind of the that's kind of a, an easy way to remember it. There's there's exceptions to those, but that'll get you a large percentage of the cases. I sing a song of Judge Cast, and its hosts I will acclaim. From IRC to Tony Halls will ever resound their name. Fame. Damn. Messed it up. <laughs> You're just messing everything up. There's a reason I don't sing, also. All right. I'm not going to sing. Um, Rob did a much better job of it. He did. And he, he said, you, you sent us the the some of the chat log that you had with him. Yeah. He was like, he's like, oh, it might take me a few days. My my Irish drinking band isn't meeting, you know, <laughs> f- until Thursday. <laughs> and CJ's response was, you have an Irish drinking band. You're like an angel that was sent to us just for this. <laughs> it's like, wow. It's pretty amazing. Like, this is definitely something I never expected ever. Right. And uh, and it's 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 really cool that we have people out there that would do yeah and i realize it's not like you know it's not the end of the world or anything but they did some awesome stuff <laughs> it's um i mean we got a mother song <laughs> yeah! it must be Just cool silent, I, to... I told him and i told him in 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 skype chat to that he's gonna need to edit that out yeah I'm going to swear. Um, it must be cool also to write that song and then just have it randomly recorded. And also, Rob did this completely for free. Like, and he added music. Okay, anyway. Anyway, we can't talk about the song all day. It's turning into uh, Gushcast. Gushcast. <laughs> um, next email from Gabe. Uh, he says he has a situation that he's is quite unique in that he's the only judge in his city, according to Judge Center. There are lots of L0s, but only, who, uh, only one who I actually know. So, well, first off... The Judge Center lists everyone with a DCI number as a level zero. 
I do believe. Possibly. Okay. Maybe. You guys aren't immediately correcting me, so I think that's right. Um, the only judges I know are a couple of L2s nearby, one to four hours away, who I see intermittently. I am head judging my first GPT this weekend and just listened to the bad habits of good L1s and have been studying the IPG and Judge Wiki to prepare and I'm feeling pretty confident about it. Anyway, all this asks basically what is the best way for me to gain experience? I plan on applying for the GPs close to me and just continue to judge as many of the regular REL events at my shop and helping out on GPTs and PTQs as well. And of course, listening to JudgeCast and staying up to date with forums and announcements. Anything else you guys would recommend? You're doing it. Dude. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> He's doing way more than most um, L1s or judge candidates. I know. Right. the the only The only thing that I see missing from this list is a, is a recurring theme, which is get to know your regional coordinator. If you're applying to GPs, okay, uh, they add regional coordinators to the lists of uh, of to go over and review the applications. And you know, you can write an application and talk about all the great things. Um, but generally, what where I see the value in that is providing uh, enough of a stuff that your RC can remember who you are if, if you haven't met him and spent a lot of time with him face-to-face. So I would definitely upload your photo to Judge Center. Yes. Okay. Uh, or not Judge Center, uh, apps, Judge Apps. And then, you know, send your RC an email. Let him know what you're doing. Tell him that you're going to you're gonna want to get involved in more PTQs, uh, that kind of thing. Just... You know, just talk to him or her so that he knows who you are or she knows who you are. So when your name shows up on these on these GPs, then he'll he'll have more than just that little blurb of text that you wrote up in the application. He also talks a little bit about, you know, being married, um, maybe a little older than the average judge. And, you know, he wanted to know, are there other people in the judge community? He has two kids, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, are there other people in the judge community who who have those same kinds of restrictions? Because it's tough to get out there and judge when you're uh, raising two younglings. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this kind of sounds like uh, me before my divorce. And we know how that worked out. <laughs> uh, yeah. You got level three? I got level three, yeah. yes. Um, so, yes. Uh, so one, one of... Yes, I do have to work around. I have uh, I have my daughter fifty percent of the time, and one of one of my rules is I don't judge on the weekends that I have her. And yes, that does cut out a lot of events for me. Um, but you just I mean it's you just do it, and you you judge when you can. Uh, when you when you look at what the requirements for level ones and level two judges as far as the frequency goes, even if you take out half the weekends out of a year, there's still plenty of opportunities to just smash that minimum uh, out of the water. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's something, you know, maybe you only get out once a month. OK, that's fine. You know, that's that's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. Yeah, the only a uh, couple things I'd add to that is on our episode with Jared, who is married and has, I want to say he's up to two kids now, isn't he? Is it just one kid? Uh, I don't know. Uh, he has at least one. He has at least one, uh, Liliana. Um, maybe his wife is pregnant now. But anyway, with Jared Silva, when he became level four, <laughs> we actually, we asked him about this and he talked about it a little bit. So it might be helpful to go listen to that episode. Uh, additionally, I mentioned that, you know, because I, I don't get out there and judge very much myself either, like physically judge. Um, I supplement it some by doing judge casts, which is quite educational to me as well a lot of the time. Um, but also by being on IRC 
all the time. So if you're if you're available to be on IRC, there's a lot you can learn from that. Um, you can learn from other people's experience without having to go out there and do your own judging. And and here's another bit of super secret tech. Okay, lean in, lean in close for this. Um, take the iPad in the toilet with you because no one. If you're in a house with like a wife and kids, no one bothers you. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it's just I mean, you don't even have to do anything other than just shut the door and just sit down. You know, toilet seat even down. No one will bother you and just read or whatever you need to do. And it doesn't even have to do magic stuff. It can be anything, you know, at all. This is to, for me to you, Gabe. <laughs> No one bothers you when you're in the toilet. All right. Next question comes from Simon. Our next series of questions. I believe there are five here. Uh, let's start. Let's start at the top. And it's five. And then he, he has little citations and all the card texts, which I appreciate. Yes, thank you. Um, first question. If I control an- an- Anax, Anax, Anax and Simede D and cast Ulamog the Infinite Gyre. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, gyre, I, I'm pretty sure. Gyre, I'm pretty sure it's gyre. Yeah, targeting it, Just say uh, the infinite circle. Targeting That's it with I mean. the first line will it trigger the heroic ability? So what they're talking about is the uh, Ulamog's ability of when you cast Ulamog, the infinite gyre destroy target permanent, and then Anax and Samid have a uh, have heroic. It doesn't really matter what it is. It gives all their creatures plus one plus one and gain trample whenever it is targeted by a spell. So does Ulamog trigger heroic? No. No. Why not, Jess? Because that ability, it's not that it's an instant or source. Like, with an instant or sorcery, the card text says, do X to target thing. This says, when you cast this, do X to target thing. In fact, all the Eldrazi that have those triggers say this. And that's exactly what it is. It's a triggered ability. Uh, so when you cast it, the spell's on the stack, and then this triggered ability goes on top of it on the stack that targets something. Ulamog, as a spell, isn't targeting anything. So what's targeting Annex and Saimede is the triggered ability from Ulamog, which is not a spell, but an ability. Perfect. Next, I control Rurik Thar the Unbowed and cast Boon Satter for its bestow cost. Hey, this is this is what I was getting at earlier when I decided not to be complex. Here we go. Will this trigger the Rurik Thar ability and deal damage to me? Is Boon Satter always a creature spell even when bestowing or does bestowing or does it become a non-creature spell when changing to an aura? And if so, before or after Rurik Thar checks whether it triggers. So Rurik Thar reads, uh, whenever a player casts a non-creature spell, Rurik Thar deals six damage to that player. And then Boon Satter is a uh, 4-2 flash with... Satyr. It's, it's Boon Satyr. Boon Satire is a 4-2 <laughs> with Bestow. This is the best episode ever. <laughs> Porculus. Porculus. <laughs> so, so, rural, rural Thayer um, <laughs> ch- checks when the spell is completely cast. Um, so at that point, you're casting it uh, for its bestow cost, and it's no longer a creature. It's just an aura. So rural fire will trigger. Yeah, he's going to do six damage to you. Sex damage, yes. I'm totally not looking up. Yeah, both pronunciations of satyr are correct. But what? Now I don't even remember which one I was saying. Was I saying satyr or satyr? You were saying satyr. Well, both are correct. You were saying, uh, uh, no, you were wrong. How am I wrong? Unless I was saying satire. You're satire. You're wrong. It's pronounced Calabos. So three. Question the third. Clash of the Titans reference. Yeah. I still control Rurik Thar the Unbowed and cast Erbos, God of the Dead, with my devotion to black being less than five. Will this deal trigger with the, um, will this deal trigger the Rurik Thar ability? 
So that goes into what we've said before. The god cards are creatures everywhere except on the battlefield. So when you cast it, it is a creature and Rurikthar is not going to trigger. Four. I control Verl's the score strike. <laughs> you know what? I hate magic. <laughs> this is getting too complex. I Theros is going to be particularly hard for me. Dude, you just explained bestow and the de- and, and devotion, but the names are too Yeah, complex. the names are the problem. We're having like name complexity creep. You know, in my day, legends didn't have legendary creatures name comma title on them. They were just the name of the creature, like Nicole Bolas, back when things were simple. Well, I'm sure, I mean, if you're going to start the in my day questions, I'm sure Brian's got you beat oh, on I'm that. sure he does. Oh, yeah. Back in my day, we didn't even have pronunciation. It hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it controls Verils, which gives all creatures in your graveyard um, scavenge. The scavenge cost is equal to their mana cost. And have Erbos, God of the Dead, in my graveyard. My devotion to black is less than five. Is Erbos a creature in the graveyard? And so we'll be given scavenge. I suspect that this may have the same answer as the previous question, as the scenarios are similar. He suspected right. Yeah. Well, he suspected right for the wrong reason. Well, why? We're talking about the Verils question, right? Yeah. So Verils, when you scavenge it... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood the question. Never mind. <laughs> okay. I'm dumb. Right. Yeah, he's just asking, I was misreading. will it have scavenge? And yes, it will, because it's always a creature in your graveyard. Uh, all right, question five. I control two fours, a mountain and satyr hedonist? Hedonist. No, come on. Aww. Oh, it isn't. Um, <laughs> which says pay red, sacrifice satyr hedonist, add red, red, red to your mana pool. I want to cast a nemesis of mortals. At the pre-release, I sacrificed the satyr so that I had met the mana floating in my mana pool and then declared the casting of nemesis of mortals. But I was wondering if sacrificing the satyr could be done during the steps of casting the spell, both for mana and to reduce the cost by one. And if so, at which step would it be required to be done? Um, so the Nemesis Immortals is that guy who costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Yep. So can he can he use it during the opportunity to activate mana abilities when casting a spell and still get the reduction? Oh, that's a that's a different question there. So, yes, uh, 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 Satyr Hedonist is a uh, has a mana ability or a mana ability. I'm just going to start calling him Sadhead. Well, I'm going to stop you because you said yes, but it's no. And let me remind you that Nemesis costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Hold on. You can sack it to activate its its mana ability. Sure, you can do that. But he's asking, can you get the reduction and sack it? Well, hold on. Okay. 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 Keep going. Keep going. Because there was going to be a big however at the end of this. Keep going. So you can you can to to pay for uh, your nemesis of mortal. Okay, you can pay your one red and sack your your hedonist during the 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 area the step where you would activate mana abilities. Okay, however, that's right after you lock in the total cost. Okay, so the step right before that is determine what the total cost of the spell is, in which case Nemesis of the Mortal is going to cost one less for each creature in your graveyard. You haven't sacked your sad head yet, so you don't get the minus one reduction from him. So, yes, you can sack him. No, you can't. You can't have your 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 cake and eat it, too. All right. The correct play is what he did, which was sacrifice it before you uh, start to cast Nemesis Immortals. Yep. All right. Four more, guys. Whew. Whew. One of them, a few of them are pretty short. Um, next question comes from Brian Dale. It says, the horror creatures say that an effect happens when you cast a spell that targets name. Since it doesn't say if name is in play, then a spell targeting name in the graveyard should trigger the effect. 
So basically he's saying, you know, say you cast Raise Dead targeting um, a creature with Heroic in the graveyard. Does the Heroic trigger? No. No. Why not? Because I said so. Okay. Okay. Next question. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. So all abilities, abilities only work on the battlefield uh, unless they like reference another zone or they make no sense otherwise. So in this particular case, Heroic... Uh, there's there's nothing on it that specifies or leads you to believe that it's going to to work in the graveyard, so it doesn't. Okay. Yeah, I'm seeing that so, one a lot. I mean, yeah, it is because because people really, it's one of these things that people really want it to be true. Yeah. Okay. So, but like, but yeah, like kind of an example I've used before is say something has protection from blue. People know that that doesn't mean the spell can't be countered. Like these abilities only work when they're on the battlefield. I don't, I don't know why there, there's a disconnect. I guess, I guess triggers, maybe they don't see triggers. It's the same kind of ability as protection. Well, I mean, it's still, it's kind of one of these things where protection only does stuff but it's still like on the card like if you you know search your library for a creature with protection from blue yeah you know you could have a blue spell that does that and that's fine or search your search your library for a creature with flying you know but the the ability the ability flying doesn't do anything uh some abilities do though like like uh death touch and lifelink actually work from the graveyard because that's that that working from the graveyard is written into the rules for death touch and lifelink yeah. What cards deal damage from the graveyard? There's, uh, I gotta remember, there's, 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 I'll have to look it up. I don't remember what the cards are off the top of my head, but there's cards that can deal damage from the graveyard. Okay, well, while you're doing that bit of or exile and stuff like that, boringness, let's read our next email from Andrew Wilson from Florida, USA, North America, Earth, Soul, Milky Way. You guys are awesome and great and the best and blah, blah, blah. Okay, now imagine player N has gone infinite, quote unquote, and declared his life total to be a billion. Player A now goes infinite and declares that he makes two million or makes a million two power flyers. He attacks player A with all of them. Player A now expects player N to be dead, but player N says, no, I take two million damage, but I was at a billion, so I'm now at 998 million. Player A calls a judge and the situation is explained. Clearly, player A meant to make enough infinite flyers to deal with player N's, quote unquote, infinite life, but he declared the wrong number. Would the ruling here be based on intent or on what was actually said? What if player A says he thought player N said he was at a million? What if A even wrote down a million on his life total score sheep? Sheep? Score sheep? This is all hypothetical, a result of idle curiosity, so feel uh, free to disregard the corner case. Thanks, Team JC, which he says sounds like a church group. Um, So... What player A intended to do here is definitely different from what he actually did. Right. Uh, so we we can't go. Well, clearly, before you attacked, you intended to make two billion guys because he didn't make two billion guys. Right. Um. He he made he said what he did and he did what he said. Uh. So to answer the first part of the question, no, his opponent is not dead. Uh. As long as there was clear communication about life totals. Now the second part is where we get interesting. Uh. What if player A wrote down 1 million on his life total score sheet. Uh, I'm going to ask why he did that and ask some questions about what's going on here. And this could end many different ways, depending on what those answers are. Um, it's, it's not it's not player in is the one that gained the billion life. Right. OK, so player a writing down 1 million on his spreadsheet is just like, oh, I heard Ilian. 
And so I just assumed million, you know? Well, when I say it could end different ways, because what I mean is player N may not have been clear. Player A may be cheating. Uh, there, I don't know why you would try to do that, but I've seen players do stupid things. Um, but th- there are a number of different ways this could end. The most likely scenario is this guy's at 998 million. Yeah. And not dead. That, that's yeah. where I see it going, most likely. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, buddy, you messed up. Yeah, you you are allowed to make play mistakes. It's like, oh well, I intended not to mess up. <laughs> so do I. Well, I, yeah. I actually get that judge call quite a lot. Judge, I, I meant to do this. Can I go back? No. No. <laughs> but it's regular REL. No. You're, you are still even at regular REL. You are allowed to make play errors, you know, or strategic errors. I mean, I meant to speak clearly throughout this podcast, but. Clearly. We're not going to re-record it, so nope. nope. Next email from JJ. It says, a friend of mine and I had an argument following your latest podcast on Theros with Polacronos Kranos World Eater. Polacronos Kranos. Polacronos. 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 CJ gets leeway on made-up names because I can't prove how to pronounce them. <laughs> um, you commented that the monstrous ability makes Polacronos steal its damage to the target... <laughs> creature first giving an example with if infect on how this could be different compared to a normal simultaneous fight effect well what if my opponent has two storm breath dragons while i have a polychronos and bow of nylia in play i attack with polychronos i attack with porculus and activate monstrous for x equals two targeting each of the dragons for one damage monstrous did you say monstrous i said monstrous i heard monstrous Monstrous. i heard monstrous herman monstrous I think it's getting late. It's getting late now. I think the death touch damage will kill the dragons first, and therefore my porculus is safe. While my friend claims that the dragons won't go to the graveyard until state-based actions are checked, and thus the dragons get to deal their damage because they don't die until the monstrous ability has finished resolving. I know I'm right, but I was hoping you guys could back me up on this. So this is one of those things where I I didn't mean to be confusing, but apparently I was because I think I was the one who talked about this. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. So unfortunately, JJ, you're not actually right on this. Your friend is right. She can probably pronounce monstrous a lot better. You probably can, JJ. It's dynamite. Dynamite. Yes. Do you get that reference, Jess? I don't. Jeez, I feel so old. Hey, I can tell you, I've, I only know That's the reference. That's because you are so old. I've never watched the show. I've never actually seen him say it. I only know the reference. It's JJ Walker in the late 70s was on a show called Good Times. Yeah. And his catchphrase, much like what you talking about, Willis and Joey Lawrence with whoa, his catchphrase was dynamite because it was the 70s and they talked like that, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Anyway, why? Why is uh, why is JJ's friend correct, CJ? OK, I'll talk about it. So when a creature has infect, it deals damage and it changes the result of the damage. Um, In this case, instead of just having damage marked on the creature that was dealt damage, you instead put minus one, minus one counters on the creature. So that happens immediately because that that is the result of the damage now. Minus one, minus one counters. Um, So when it does this to the opponent's creatures, they will be smaller when they swing back. However, death touch is a state-based action. So death touch only happens when state-based actions are checked. Basically, the state-based action is uh, if a creature was dealt damage by a source with death touch, we destroy it. 
and we do this and we do this check when we check state-based actions and we don't check state-based actions in the middle of an ability resolving which is when herman monstrous is which is in the middle of this this quote-unquote fight happening so there are two different situations uh death touch needs state-based actions in fact happens immediately because right. that is what the damage is good good enough yeah or as brian put here lightning bolts don't kill creatures state-based actions state-based actions do right all right final email and it's not even an email he actually sent us a chat somehow i guess someone was logged in and he was able to chat us but i responded to it in email all he writes i love this because the shortest one no rod plus mycosynth lattice on the board can you blood rush that is the entirety of what he wrote wrote no rod um Instead of doing, or it doesn't do anything, it does nothing, reads, players cannot play any artifact abilities requiring an activation cost. Wait, that's old text. That's not Oracle text. The point is, it says activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. Uh, Mycosynth Lattice makes all the cards in your hand and everywhere that isn't the battlefield colorless. Note, not the use of the word artifact there. Uh, and in addition to that, it makes everything on the battlefield artifacts. And it does some other crap. Who wants to take this one? I'm still looking up, like, what is null stick? What is this? I made those up to help explain it. All right, I'll take this one. Okay. <laughs> so, so there's two things wrong here. First, Null Rod says activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. In your hand, the cards are just colorless. Mycosynth Lattice does not make them artifacts. So that already, there's no interaction there. But secondly, when a card refers to other cards by solely their type... So, like, if it said, and this is my null stick example, null stick activated abilities of creatures can't be activated, that means creature permanence. It means cards on the battlefield that are a creature. Therefore, if such a card existed as null stick, um, removing the mycosynth lattice nonsense, then you could still blood rush in that situation because cards in your hand are not permanence. However, I also propose the hypothetical card null log, which reads activated abilities of creature cards can't be activated. In that situation, you could not, in fact, blood rush because now we're talking about creature cards, which is all creatures everywhere in all zones. And that's null stick and null log to go with null rod. Okay. Okay. I think that's it. That's it. We did it. That's a lot of emails. So I know I say this every episode, but we're going to have to talk about some policy with these emails. I don't know what it is, but whew, we're getting so many now. We're so It's because we're famous. I know we have a song. We have we're, a song. We're, we're Internet famous and all that. Yes, we are Internet famous. We got, you know, we got likes coming out all crazy. Like <laughs> we have. Hold on. Here's here's something I was looking at. We have one fifth the total number of likes that Magic Judges does. Nice. That's pretty good. Yes, that is. So there you go. That's and that's and that's that's really good. We need more followers on Twitter, though. Yeah. So what is it like 30? Every every person that follows us on Twitter, um, uh, uh, Scrib Sprite gets its wings. Good. Finally. Yeah. Finally, those Scrib Sprites. Ooh. All right. So do you guys have anything else you want to add to wrap up? I want to say thank you for all the emails because this is great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for all the emails. We're going to have to stop reading them. I, see, we don't want to stop reading them, but we're getting so I know. many and we can't just become an email show. I mean, I guess we could. That's really that's way easier on us. Like we don't have to prepare anything or. 
Well, actually, we have to read because like some of these questions that you answered, like in email, and I'd see the question, and I was like, I hope Jess takes this one because I haven't read. <laughs> I haven't. Read. <laughs> I don't remember what Michael Sintelanet does off the top of my head, so I'm just gonna make a joke about null stick and hope CJ takes it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's funny you mention that because it's pretty frequent that that I as soon as we start the question, I'm looking them up because I don't know a lot of these cards. Yeah, I me. just kind of just wing it, you know. Yep. Now do so I made the mistake yesterday. I was like, I'm going to read all the questions so they're going to be fresh in my mind. And I started with the newest questions and worked backwards. Mm-hmm. So when we started with the oldest questions, I was like, oh, crap. Uh, I don't CJ answered this one. I don't know what this one says at all. <laughs> yeah, I answered some of them today. We're usually pretty good at responding back. But if you ask a question with a lot of math or something, <laughs> that one usually sits in the inbox for a little bit. Great. Now we're going to now we're going to get a, some sort of uh, question with like right of replication on whatever that that golem. Yeah, that golem, that that thing that was all the craze at the time. Oh, yes. Pre- precursor golem. Pre- yes, there you go. So I have a kicked right of replication on a pre- precursor golem. All right. I think I think we're rambling. I think we can wrap it up. <laughs> All right. right. I want to thank everyone for listening. You're all great, beautiful people. And thank you all for emailing. Uh, If you want to email us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. As Brian has mentioned a million times, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and follow us on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. And also visit our website at judgecast.com. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman. I keep it monstrous. Monstrous. don't keep it in song well, i i i came up with monstrous i panicked <laughs> isn't that how you do, you do that every episode yeah. well like, it's because i do this for like 30 40 episodes now it's always i didn't know what i didn't know i, I didn't have to say anything hey well no i knew that i was gonna have to say well hold on if you ask me if i know i've got to come up with something then i say yes obviously i know but i don't actually think about what i'm gonna say until cj's like ah well my name's cj schrader i keep it and i'm like oh uh oh something topical something timely monstrous there we go oh that's my thought process yeah yeah, Clearly. that's also how I rule things on the floor. When you ask me a question, I just go like, ah, I don't know, GRV. Or lack just, thereof thought process. Yes, lack thereof. I don't know. Just give me that slip. You get a game loss. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Game loss. The easiest way. <laughs> the easiest way. Yeah. So, Judge, how does this, how does it just, it works. Go. Just, I don't know, monstrous. Just leave me alone. Unlimited me alone. resources. John Laux and Brian Wong both write out long endings to put there. Yeah, but guess what? They don't have a song. So That's true. They don't have a song. Jokes on them. (laughs)